Thank you so much for what we get to do here. Go before us now as we open up the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, years ago, I had an adult leader in my youth group, and his name was Georgie. And if you are watching, Georgie, I miss you and I love you. This is back in San Diego, and just the funniest person in the world. You ever met a, a person that has the unique anointing to just get favor, get what they want, and just continue to progress? I mean, just always becomes the manager, always becomes the top leader. It's just one of those type of personalities, and uh, very stubborn you know, in a good way and sometimes not in a good way, but very stubborn, knows what he wants out of life, knows what to go after. We just love him so much. And one day we were having dinner at a, a new little restaurant that opened up by the beach and we're sitting there talking life and he was getting discouraged because I'd never seen him with a girlfriend. He has never dated before. And it's been years and years. Now he's getting closer to 30 years old and still there wasn't any potential. And so as we're eating dinner, he looks at me and says, Rudy, I think I'm done. I think I give up. I think there's no hope and it's not going to happen. I think I'm just going to be forever alone. And I looked at him and I said, Georgie, let me tell you about the goodness of God. Right around the corner, at a moment you may not be expecting, God can bring that woman into your life when you least expect it. I was not looking to date when I was 19 years old. And here comes Nikki walking around the corner and had no clue. And it was love at first sight. And I ended up marrying that girl. And I told him my testimony. I said, I wasn't looking. I, I wasn't expecting. But God is so good that he can bring you exactly what you need right around the corner at any moment. He goes, nah, not for me. Maybe for you, but not for me. One month later, <laughs> in walks Mackenzie. And they meet they fall in love, and then I got to officiate their wedding. It was a fun, fun time. You know, when you're a youth pastor, you do a lot of weddings, and it's fun because I love going to weddings, and I love the food that's at weddings. And so I got to officiate his wedding, and sure enough, in front of like 300 people, and they had like 14 groomsmen and bridesmaids, and it was this very elegant wedding. And I stood up there, and I told this story, you know, about a year and a half ago. I sat down with George, and he said there was no hope. But I told him about the power of God, and I told him about the goodness of God, that at any moment, around the corner, and here walks Mackenzie. And I got to tell that story at his wedding. But we serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God of favor, a God who delights in the prosperity of his servant. We serve a God where, where he can do anything out of nothing. Even in creation, when there was nothing but void and darkness, God spoke in the power of his words, the power of the word of God. But he spoke, and in the Latin, it's ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. He created something. God doesn't need any substance to create something out of nowhere. That's why King David, when, when he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, it was the same word used when God created the world. He said, I don't want a recycled heart. I want something brand new in me that will help me lead a life of purity out of nothing. You know, scientists, they can try to come up with whatever they want in their labs, but they have to borrow something that's already in existence. A, a scientist cannot even make something as simple as a leaf on a tree. Even if they try to say, well, we can put these elements together, like, whoa, 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 that, that's God's elements. Get your own elements if you're going to try to make something out of nothing. Only God can create something out of nothing, and he can do it every single way for us. And we as believers who are supernatural in nature, who are children of God, it's, it's not right when we don't have an appetite for the impossible. We as believers, because we have the same power that rose Christ from the grave, Romans 8, 11, we who have been given authority in Christ, have been given every spiritual blessing, we should have a hunger in our hearts to dare to take a risk to see the impossible become possible. 
If there's not a hunger and a desire in your heart to see the miraculous happening, happening, you should want to have a conversation with God and say, hey, pour that in my heart. Fill that up. Give me that desire. And today, I want to talk about how we can get past the feelings of just wanting to be normal, the feelings of just wanting to avoid and to be secluded and to not really see big things happening. Maybe because of past hurts, maybe because of past failures, we kind of just want to take the easy road and, and the relaxed road and, and the lazy road at times. But today I want to preach a message called, You Made a Way. You Made a Way. I don't want to focus on all the things that's happened in my life that didn't go the right way. I want to focus on every time God did make a way in my life. And as I mentioned, I have been really hearing from God a lot through worship music, not so much study, which I do a lot of, not, not so much hearing from sermons and conferences, which I do a lot of. But when I hear a, a song that resonates with my soul, all of a sudden revelations just start coming to me. And this past song, it's like the baby just said hallelujah. That was the cutest thing in the world. Thank you, baby. Yes, yes and amen. It sounded like hallelujah. That was awesome. So I've been listening to this song called Made Away by uh, Travis Green. I think it was Song of the Year. And the bridge, he talks about what is possible with God, that he causes walls to fall, that in his power, miracles are possible, that nothing is impossible because God made a way. And I've just been listening to this over and over again. I'm like, Father, I want to live in a way where I have a boldness, a confidence to brag about my God of all he is capable of. I want to be filled with this confidence of knowing that all things are possible for my God. But we know even though we study the Bible, we listen to sermons, that we've seen God do miracles in our life, even though we know this, many times it's still easy for the enemy to discourage us. It takes just a moment of distraction to pull our attention away from God and what is possible onto our situations and what is not happening. Now, I say this all the time that because the enemy has been removed of his power, he can't destroy us, so he does everything to distract us. He does everything to distract us because he can't destroy it. One, one preacher said that the enemy has been defeated and he has been disarmed. So he has no feet and he has no arms. <laughs> all he has is a big fat lion mouth. That's all he has. You know, but that mouth, that lies, that, that, that influence, it's amazing what it can do to a believer who's been a Christian for so many years, who has seen God do incredible things, but in a moment of doubt, in a moment of reflection on past failures or insecurity, we can shut down and step back from what God wants to do. And it's very easy in, in the church as well to get to a place where I want to be used by God. I want God to move through me. Anything's possible with God. But then instead, we turn it to, well, you know, so much is going wrong in my life, and this world is going to hell real quickly, and God just bless me, bless me, bless me. And somewhere along the lines in the Christian church and in Christian music, we have gone from use me God to a bless me club. And we're put on this planet not just to have an easy trip until we get to heaven. We're not put on this planet to be comforted and, and comfortable as long as possible and, and just to skirt our way through life. No, we are put on this planet for such a time as this to be used in the individual callings and giftings that God has given to us to see him do the powerful. Because when the world sees a miracle, their hearts are open to God. When, when they see God moving, it brings an encounter even to the hardest of hearts. And so today, I really want to look at God can make a way even when there is no way. So if you have your Bibles, go with me. We're going to read a big chunk of Scripture today in Exodus chapter 14. 
Now, this, of course, is the uh, Exodus story of God splitting an ocean. Now, Isaiah 43, I believe, talks about God makes a way where there is no way that he can make rivers in the desert, that he can part ways. But here we have the Israelites who are leaving bondage and going into the promised land, and they got a murderous army behind them and an ocean in front of them, and God still made a way. Just as we're turning there, out of curiosity, how many families are actually going to go out to a restaurant today? Let me see your hands. You're going out to bless your hearts. May, may the anointing of God splitting the Red Sea split the traffic for you, split the waiting lines, and then hopefully you have a reservation. But, but in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to read and stop and read and stop because the Word of God is so pregnant, family. It's so pregnant. There's so much revelation in these words, and it's easy to just read and bypass it. But there's some things here that happen that I really believe are going to help us to get to a place where we believe, God, you can make a way where there is no way, and I will not have doubt in my heart, and I won't, I won't feel weak in it. I'll know that you have a plan. So let's begin in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. And that's the key right there. The moment fear enters your heart is the moment you've taken your focus off of God. You will worship whatever is biggest to you. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is there not... Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Ooh, we got to be careful with that type of a heart and mindset. Here you have, because of fear, they started questioning the goodness of God. They started questioning Moses' leadership and saying, hey, hey, you said you were trying to rescue us from our bondage, but instead you're leading us into death. And they doubted the goodness of God because of the fear that was in their hearts. And this here in verse 12 is so scary that they would rather be comfortable in their bondage than to have the risk and the faith to step out in their true victory and calling. And believers, we can do this all the time where we, we're so comfortable knowing how to deal with our sicknesses, deal with our sins, struggle in the waiting, all those type of things. It's, we can make a very comfortable lifestyle, being mediocre and walking in our suffering. And we know what God can call us to, but some of us don't have enough vision for the, for the future and for the victory that we just make ourselves comfortable in the bondage. And so here, they would rather be in bondage than to see God show up and show out. And that's such a scary place to be. In verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. For the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now, this is a leader. Here's one where everybody is grumbling and walking in fear. They can rise up and prophesy in the middle of the problem and say, no, 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 no. God even hasn't spoken to Moses yet, but he says he gave me a promise. And if all I have is the promise and the word of God, I have all that I need. And he reminds them of the goodness of God. He reminds them that nothing's impossible for God. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You just have to be still. You just have to be silent. In verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through it, the midst of the sea on dry land. 
Now, this is important. God didn't say, just stand back idly and watch me fix your problem. He said, take your staff and use it to be the conduit of the miracle. The staff was his shepherd's staff. That was his influence. That was his identity. That was his income. That staff was everything that he used in life. And God wants to use what's currently in your life and your talents and your income and and your abilities and, and your anointing so that a miracle can be worked through you, so to the benefit of others. So notice that God wants to partner with faith and your flesh. He wants to partner with you to use what he has already given to you to see something powerful happen. And as for me, verse 17, behold, I will harden the hearts of Egyptians and they will go in after them and will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and I am honored through Pharaoh through his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them and the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud among the darkness, yet it gave light in the night. Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. This is powerful because God doesn't leave you deserted in the desert. (laughs) He doesn't leave you alone. It said that there was a pillar of fire by nighttime and a pillar of cloud by the daytime. So in the hot sun, they had shade because of that cloud. At nighttime, they had warmth in the cold nights of the desert because of the fire, and all they had to do was follow that pillar. That pillar was a manifestation of the very presence of God. And all they had to do was follow wherever God was going. Family, if I could give you any bit of advice to help you on on this thing we call life, it's to simply follow God's back. Hear his voice, follow his back. He will always lead you into great places. Verse 21, we're almost done here. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back in a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. So the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. This is such powerful imagery. Here you have the sea splitting, and if anybody's seen the cartoon The Prince of Egypt, and, or I've seen, you know, the old school movies, you see that he put his staff down and instantly the water split. And it's just this marvelous, miraculous thing. And they walk through the ocean. But in my Bible, it says all night. He stood there with murderers behind them, this fire blocking and protecting them, an ocean before him. And it took all night long for those waters to part. That's why when somebody complains, you know, God's not doing anything in my life. God's not working He's splitting seas. It's just not in your timetable. He's moving waters. He's moving mountains. But you want it to happen now, and he's making it happen in the process. A lot can happen in the waiting of God if we pay attention. But it just struck me that he did this all night long. Our victory also includes a timetable, and we need to be aware of that. But then several times it says that they walked on dry land. Now, we've had a lot of rain, and we're probably going to have a lot more rain this week. We have a lot of rain, and when it rains here in the great nation of Texas, after the rains are done, the ground is still muddy. I can't let my puppies go in the backyard until a day after the rain because my little schnauzer will come back with a different color on her paws. (laughs) It's mud. She loves to dig. She likes to get grubs and worms, and she's a little hunter, 
but I can't let her go out after it's rained because the ground is too soft, it's wet, it's muddy. Now, that happens after a light rain in Texas. I can't imagine when an ocean has moved out of the way if they can walk on dry land. You see, the ocean's booth, it should at least be muddy. Water has been on top of that for thousands of years, and yet it was dry ground. And the reason I believe it was dry ground was because there's no footprints that can be left behind in dry ground. And where God was taking them from bondage into victory, there should be no record of being able to go back. There should be no bread trail, breadcrumb trail to go back into their bondage. God says, I am bringing you through. And more so, this is the first time in the Bible that we see the imagery foreshadowing of a baptism. They're going through water where they were once slaves, and now they are children of God going into their victory. God brought them through a process, a public declaration of the faith that they had, dry ground. And I will encourage you, when God pulls you out of something and he frees you from something, don't create a lifestyle and habits that will lead you right back to that. It says dry ground. And let's finish up here with two more verses. Verse 24, at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused the chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. So Israel's enemies, they, they said, wow, there is a miracle working God that is for them. So we're going to finally leave them alone. Otherwise, we're going to die. And don't worry about that annoying coworker. Don't worry about that, that, that neighbor that's giving you a hard time. Don't, don't worry about the family member that, that you may have turmoil with. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is with you, just continue to have a soft heart of adoration and a, a heart where your affections are continually upon him, and people will see the goodness of God on you. People will see the power and the favor of God. Why can you still be joyful even though that happened to you? How do you keep getting promoted at your work? How is it that you can continue to be strong even though everything's falling apart around you because of the goodness of God? And when people see Christians living the lifestyle that we are supposed to live, it brings such a hope into this world. And I love here that, that the Israelites were able to go on God's word through the, through the waters, but when the Egyptians tried to follow in that same anointing, they were killed. We should be walking in the divine calling that God has given to us, not trying to copycat other people, but through relationship and intimacy, find where God wants to lead us to go. Nothing is impossible for God. And he can make a way even when there is no way. So if you're taking notes, here are bits of encouragement as we are in between, the in-betweens of life. So number one in your notes, we need to be proactive in the waiting. We need to be proactive in the waiting. I remember years ago before we went into our trial season, and you all know my story where a senior pastor betrayed us. We got laid off from a church. We ended up living in a Motel 6 before God brought us to Texas. And before we entered into one of the most difficult seasons of our lives, I was in church in the front row. I'll never forget what seat I was in. And the worship leader, our worship leaders, these Puerto Rican friends from New York, and she began to sing that song called Take Courage. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. And it was one of those moments, you know, when we get a little rowdy in, in worship where, you know, she's singing on, on the mic, but when the spirit hit, that microphone came off the stand. Let me tell you, when that hand starts to move like this, Holy Spirit's going to be moving too. And so she sang this song, and I'm sitting there just caught up in the worship, but she sang, He is in the waiting. And I've been a Christian for decades, and I, I, I stood there in a minute, I'm like, wow. He is in the waiting. 
And like Abraham who prayed for a blessing and God said, I am your shield, your very great reward, I discovered for the first time that my greatest prize is the presence of God. I discovered for the very first time in my life, I don't even need to worry about the answer or the solution or even a reason of why I'm in this trial. I need to focus on the revelation that he's here with me. And that if I'm filled with the presence of God, oof, what more do I need in life? So he is in the waiting. So if he's in the waiting, if he's there with me, he wants to speak to me. He wants to use me. And that means I can't be idle when I'm hurting. My hurt and my pain, whether it was my fault or not, still does not give me the excuse to be idle as a believer. When God can do all things in and through me. Take courage. And I love this. And, and we, we need to be encouraged too that God is never silent. God is always moving. He doesn't sleep nor slumber. So he's, he's working out this evil to turn it around for your good, I can guarantee you. And there's a, a preacher, uh, Darius Daniel, who talks about this, this portion of Scripture, and he says, I love how it all plays out. You have the Israelites who are in bondage, and they cry out to God, save us, we are completely in suffering. And then God begins to speak to a man named Moses. The Israelites cry out, God save us, God begins to speak to a man named Moses. The Israelites cry out, they talk to God, God talks to a man named Moses. The Israelites cry out, they talk to God, God talks to a man named Moses. Now here's the problem. If I'm crying out to God about my problem, I want God to talk to me. But God didn't talk back to the Israelites, he spoke to Moses. So just because you feel like God isn't talking to you doesn't mean he's not working it out for your good. He's still moving, he's still working. And we have to have the type of faith that says, God, I trust you that you are moving and working. My favorite psalm in the scripture is Psalm 27, and not because I was born on February 27th, but it's just a powerful psalm. And in it, verse 13 and 14, it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It says, wait on the Lord and take courage. Wait on the Lord. Let me encourage you that waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord has nothing to do with waiting and sitting down. Waiting on the Lord is a proactive measure. Waiting on the Lord is like a waiter at a restaurant, which many of y'all will go to today. If a waiter just sat down and stared at you and didn't do anything, didn't sit you, ooh, you all got real upset real quick. Mercy. <laughs> if, if a waiter took too long to bring your drink or didn't refill it, if a waiter didn't bring your food out after you ordered it, if a hostess even didn't sit you down in a timely matter, we get frustrated because waiters are supposed to be watching and serving. Now, when we wait on the Lord, we need to be proactive in the waiting. Waiting doesn't mean being idle. Waiting means watching. Waiting means serving. Because if God is in the waiting, that means he's going to be speaking, and he's going to be showing us every step of the way onto our way of victory. So we need to be proactive in the waiting. The second thing is that we need to be prophetic in the trial. Be prophetic in the trial. I love how Moses, everybody's complaining. They got an ocean before them, and instead of saying, well, let's see what happens. Or, ooh, I hope it works out for our good. Instead of that, Moses says, mm -mm, you're going to see salvation today. You're going to see the goodness of God and his power. All you have to do is be silent. He prophesied in the problem. He declared the promise of God out loud. And that's what prophecy really is. Prophecy is not, thus saith the Lord, the end of the world is going to happen on November 1st and be prepared for the judgment of God. That's not that's pathetic. That's not prophetic, okay, somebody? <laughs> That's not what we're after. True prophecy is hearing God deliver something to your heart that you need to declare over a situation or declare over a person. 
If God talks to us, we can prophesy also to other people. That's true prophecy. And so we need to prophesy over the issues of our lives. Even on the simplest things, I'm standing here today in a four-square church in a cute town in Texas because for years and years and years, that has been my prayer. I said, one day, I don't know how God's going to do it. One day, I'm going to be a four-square pastor in a cute little church in Texas, and I kept declaring that, declaring that. And that's why when I had that first breakfast with Pastor Josh, and I'm sitting there, and he told us about Duncanville, and I came home and told my wife about it, she looked at me, and she said, this is your dream. This is what you've been talking about and talking about and talking about and praying about for so many years. Even in the dumbest little things, if, if it's a delight to our heart, if it matters to us, it matters to God. When I was 11 years old, I was at, I think, a Walmart. I was 11, and at that time, mom would just go off shopping, and they would leave the kids, like, at the magazine aisle, and you would just look through all the magazines and the cartoons and so forth. And I love cars and, and other things, but I was looking at this car magazine, and on the cover was a 1962 Chevrolet Impala. Oh, it was a beautiful car. still is. My favorite car ever. And at the age of 11, I bought a poster, and I said, one day, I want to own that car. And I said that for years and years and years. And, and I love transformation. That's why I love old cars and restoration. I love anything that has to go with a before and an after, and especially with humans. It's a wonderful thing. But I, I remember sharing the story one year, and this nice little old lady came up to me after service, and she goes, my husband died about 10 years ago, and our passion was collecting cars. I've had a stupid 62 Impala on my driveway for 11 years. You want it? And she gave me the keys and the, the title to the, my dream car for free. I said, God, I, I was just joking. I, I didn't know you were actually going to do it. <laughs> Be careful what you declare. <laughs> Proverbs 18 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your declaration. There are so many good prophets who are prophesying doom. In your complaining, in your murmuring, are you prophesying your own doom? Are you prophesying your own problems? Are you prophesying your own discouragement? Rather than saying, this is my situation, but it's no surprise to God. And he has a plan. And so I'm going to prophesy the goodness of God and prophesy his power in my life because all things are possible to God. He's a God who, who operates in the kingdom, which is so much different than the principles of this world. In the kingdom of God, if you eat, you get hungrier. If we, if we eat in the, in the flesh, we get full. <laughs> But in the kingdom, one plus one doesn't always equal two. It could equal 20 because the principles in the kingdom of God are so much different. And just like the Israelites, they had the pillar of fire during the nighttime and a pillar of cloud for shade during the daytime. God always, opposite, God always manifests opposite of the spirit of the day. So where the world has no hope or joy, believers can where there is no power in hopeless situations, God can show up. We got to believe that we have a God who can do all things and anything is possible if we simply believe. And that's why I want to encourage you. Don't sit around. Be proactive in the waiting. Do something. Listen. Press in. If you're not hearing God clearly, go in deeper. But then prophesy in the middle of your problem. Prophesy in the middle of this trial and watch what God can do. And the last thing here is to be purposeful in the victory. Be purposeful in the victory. God gave a promise that the Israelites would go from bondage and he would take them into the promised land. And it would be a place where they would have a full abundance and they didn't even have to work for it. But that first generation died. In a journey that should have taken only 11 days, 
In 40 years, they continued to travel around the same mountain. And in those 40 years, the complainers and the warriors, they ended up passing away. It was the second generation that actually stepped into the calling of the original promise of God. We need to be purposeful because we can't just have our vision stop at the end of our suffering. If you're going through something today, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, don't just be praying for relief. Don't just be praying for the end of something. Say, God, I know that you're going to heal me. I know that you're going to bring this out for my good. I know that you're going to bring me joy. So when you do that, what would you want me to do after? Don't let your vision stop at where your suffering ends. Your vision should go beyond what are you going to do with the victory that God gives to you. If you won the lottery today, do you think you would have a plan? Or would you just say, well, I got a whole bunch of money. I'm not going to do anything with it. And uh, people will sue me and take my money, and then I'll just squander it and buy a whole bunch of stuff I don't need, and then I end up broker than I was before. No, if you've got a big lump inheritance or, or the lottery, you'd be like, wow, I can pay off my debts, and I can buy this house, and I can buy my family a house, and I can pay off the cars, and I can put my kids through college, and then I can retire early, and then I can give a whole bunch of money to, to the church and then see, see all the goodness of the Lord, right? You'd have a plan for that blessing. Do you have a plan for your victory? Do you have a plan to go beyond God just saving you or redeeming you? Moses had a plan. That was, I'm going to get you to the promised land. The Israelites only could see to the point of being freed of their bondage, and they had no clue what to do after that. What are you going to do with the victory that God gives you? And what are you going to do with the testimony of when he actually uses you? For several years, and I'll close with this, for several years, we saw God do some miracles in families who had been trying to have babies for 10 years, 15 years, and then the fruit would actually happen. And I remember there was one, there was one family that they were getting close to about 50 years old, and they had been trying for a baby for 13 years. And they were getting close to maybe looking at adoption. They didn't really want to go the, the medical route, and they just said, we, we want to trust God. And so one day, they just both got stirred up. We need to go before God on this. And at the end of church, they came up to the altar, and a retired minister who was in our flock, he laid hands on them and said, what, what's the, the thing that you need? We want to have a baby. We've been trying for 13 years. So they laid hands on this family and declared the fruit of the womb. And then a month later, uh, the husband, he said, you know, my wife looks kind of pregnant. I'm, I'm going to give you all some advice right now. Never guess, okay? <laughs> Never say the question, are you pregnant? Don't do it. <laughs> Even if they're nine months pregnant, don't do it. <laughs> but he said, it looks like my wife is pregnant, but I dare not say it, you know? And so he just began to get a little excited. And then the wife kind of felt like something was moving. And so they said, well, let's just take a test. And so they, they slept on it. And then the next morning she takes a test and she comes out crying. And he's like, Woman, just yes or no? You know, what is it? like, yes. They go to the doctor and find out they're three months pregnant. And so God had a, a blessing upon their family, which is wonderful. But that little baby ended up coming only two and a half months after they found out they were pregnant. And so this baby born two pounds, 12 ounces. And it was so tiny. My wife and I got to visit him. I mean, just fit him to the palm of your hand, the smallest little thing. And he was in the NICU for, for a little while. But he came out of that. He got stronger and stronger. And most preemies, they end up being lower on, on the, uh, what do you call it, the percentile uh, of growth and height. And, and this kid, by his first birthday, was already the normal-sized baby. And then shortly after they celebrated his first, uh, his first birthday, they got pregnant again. And so then he goes, well, okay, okay, God, I'm, I'm 50 years old now. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I don't need any more miracles. 
But it shows you that God can make a way where there is no way. And I want to encourage you here today. God has your victory. But what are you going to do with that victory? What are you going to do in the waiting? What are you going to do to prophesy in the middle of your trial? Because God not only wants to use you to bless you, God wants to use you to bring blessing onto the people who desperately need, or need you to move around them. As we leave here today, I want to do a prophetic act, okay? I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable at all, but in the Bible, God would use physical movement in order to bring about a victory. And I want to pray two prayers for us here as we depart, uh, prayers of leaving something behind and prayers of receiving what God wants to pour out. So if you would do me the favor, put your hands in front of you like this, and we're going to pray for our needs here today. And after we pray for our needs in a symbolic prophetic act, we're going to dump them at the feet of Jesus. So Father, right now we thank you. As we sing these songs of victory, the victories that we have in Jesus, we thank you that you are for us, not against us, that no weapon form may, be, may prosper. We thank you, Father, that you have given us a hope and a future. We thank you that we have access to the throne room of God. But Father, on this side of eternity, we deal with infertility. We deal with disease. We deal with sicknesses. We deal with depression, anxiety. We, we deal with the loss of finances. We deal with relational issues. There's so many things that the enemy wants to use to try to influence us to have doubts, to have fears, and to now doubt you. So Father, as we stand here with our arms out, we want to be empty-handed. We say with all the things that maybe have been weighing heavy on our hearts, with all the things, Father, that we repent of that may have distracted us from your presence, we say no more. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you would give us a cleansing, that you would give us a freedom, that you would bring about a victory right now, that our hearts' full attention and affection would be upon you. So now, family, in the name of Jesus, I want you to just prophetically drop at the feet of Jesus what you've been carrying. Now, if you could, put a hand over your heart in an attitude of impartation and receiving. Father, right now, not only to every mother in the room, but to every child of God in this place, Father, we open our hearts to you right now. Thank you that you have taken our fears, you have taken our doubts. We thank you that you have taken away the things that we have constantly been thinking about over and over. But Father, we renew our minds right now. And we receive, God, your complete supernatural peace, your joy, your power. Father, right now, I, I pray that you would begin to speak to every soul in this room, that there is an individual revelation you want to drop into a heart. There is a calling and a dream that may have been dormant for a while, and I pray that you would bring that up right now. Father, protect my family. Heal my family here. Father, move in and through them. Let us walk away here today with the blessing of knowing you, worshiping you. But Father, I pray now that the spark of heaven would begin to fan into flame what you want to be pouring into our hearts and speaking to us this week about. Thank you for today. Thank you that we have the victory. Thank you for all that you're doing that we can recognize right now and that what you're doing in the spirit that we can't even see. You're always working. You're always speaking. You're always moving in our favor so that we can be closer to you and see the world come to know your salvation. Bless us now as we leave. Bless our moms. Let this afternoon and beyond just be filled with laughter, filled with great memories, great food, and a great time with our people. We love you, Lord. Go before us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, family. Have a wonderful Mother's Day and a wonderful week.